Welcome to the Salad Days Podcast, featuring interviews with your favorite artists, talking about their musical origins and humble artistic beginnings. Join me, Dave Ulrich, as we travel back to the early days and hang out for a bit. Our journey this week features our special guest, Charlotte Cornfield. I was looking forward to the conversation today because for many years now, I've been tuned into Charlotte's path coming up as a bright light in the Toronto music scene. She creates music that's dreamy, cinematic, and always melodic. We have a lot of friends in common, and it was really fun to dig deep and learn more about the source of her musical inspiration with such a determined musical path that formed at, at a really early age. I'm so glad she took the time to speak with me. So here is Bloorerdale's own Charlotte Cornfield. Salad days, salad days. The winter mode, which is... Right, yeah. And, and, so it's and more like, chill in the winter kind of thing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, but, you know, but you've had a bunch of really uh, big shows recently and stuff like that, so that's... That's pretty cool. And you've, of course, got a, a big change at home, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have a six and a half month old baby and put out the the newest record three weeks after she was born. So it's kind of a wild time. And our first shows happened when she was 10 weeks old. So she's already like been to a bunch of places and been to a bunch of festivals and stuff like that. So um, that's that's awesome. Okay, so so for this so for this kind of conversation, what I like to do is I start with a uh, just a, a point of common connection. Uh, yeah. That of course for us or for me it is it is uh, you know I was definitely well aware of of your music and everything you've been doing through our connections uh, at outside um, in next door. But it was it was the I uh, you know me running a county this festival in, in the county called County Pop, and I kind of yeah. wanted to get you for a couple of years. And then the pandemic happened and that kind of messed everything up. And then we got you for uh, what was the fifth year of County Pop. And it turns out it, it is actually the um, uh, it, it is actually the last one, sort of like the final County Pop. But I like to say we went on a high note by actually finally getting you there. And everyone loved it. And it was such a great show. And that so I just was so start special. By, yeah, just asking, like, what are your what are your impressions of that of that event and that day in Prince Edward County? I loved it. Like, first of all, the the Crystal Palace, the venue is so beautiful and special. And I loved just seeing how strong the community is there. I haven't spent a ton of time in the county, but I know that there are so many cool people living there doing great stuff. And that festival was a, t- a testament to that. Just um, so many friendly faces, great bands and everyone really excited about the festival and a huge kids component which was yeah really for sure the, i was gonna yeah. say you, you definitely picked up on the kids thing that, that's something we started at the beginning and and i think it was really good because uh uh you know it just people just really you know we're supporting it and it, it kind of kicks off the season in, in a sense where it, it's the first show of the, of the spring and and all that uh, but like i said i, I we, we tried for a bit and i was very happy that you you made it and uh you know, I really it was it was great to see you play and, and get a chance to to talk. And that's why this this uh, conversation is, is just learning a bit more about, um, you know, uh, your story, particularly, you know, again, why the why and how uh, you really got hooked on music as as somebody younger. So 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 as a starting question, just just to set the, the tone, um, tell us where you're joining from today and where you grew up. Yeah, so I'm joining today from my home in Toronto. Um, Toronto is where I also grew up. 
um, I grew up in the Ossington Davenport area in the west end of the city. And yeah, I lived in Montreal for six years for university and then a couple of years afterwards and then New York for a couple of years. And then I moved back here almost 10 years ago now. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. So um, to sort of go back to the, want to try travel back to the time when you were just starting. And so mm-hmm. the, the initial question that I ask is, um, you know, it, we're trying to go back to your, your house, your home when you were maybe in high school and uh, mm-hmm. it's a Friday night, Saturday night, and there's, um, s- you know, something in the kitchen, something maybe on the TV, something on the on the turntable. But I like the, I like the, the the kitchen concept where there's something on the stove, and so you say, "What's cooking?" And you can, you know, it's almost like you can mm-hmm. smell it. What is what is and what makes it memorable? What's something from your your home life? Uh, like I said, particularly maybe in the kitchen or in the the heart of the home when you were when you were in your teenage years that that really stands out to you and you remember it very well. Totally. Well, on Fridays in high school, it was always pizza night in our house where yeah. like everyone was tired at the end of the week. My parents would order pizza. And usually before that, I would have band practice with my band Fridays after school. We would all take the subway and streetcar home and <clears throat> hang out in the basement and make a bunch of noise. And so definitely thinking about pizza in the dining room with the family after rehearsal is really what pops to mind we had a when i grew up it was equivalent saturday night pizza scenario uh and it's uh, a fun weekly activity yes and for me week weekly jams were sunday afternoon of all things i don't know how it got in that it got in that it got in that uh that rhythm but but i when i think of the the playing part for me is definitely those those sunday afternoons uh the you know so, some other things so, so give us or just give me a sense of like you know in, in your house what was what was the uh composition of your uh, you know your family like do you have do you have brothers and sisters and uh, and one and uh how big was your family yeah so we were uh pretty classic we are family of four um younger brother i have a younger brother who's two years younger um and then it was my mom and my dad we had a dog named chester and yeah, it was a very kind of culturally stimulating house to grow up in. My dad is a musician, a music producer. My mom's a writer, editor, journalist, general lover of all things interesting and very, very curious. So we would always have these big, long conversations at the dinner table at the end of the day um, about things that were going on in the world, things that we were passionate about, things that were happening at school and, and out. So yeah, just a very sort of like intellectually stimulating environment. Was there was there any one kind of music that either your mom or your dad, uh, you know, would play during those dinners or during those kitchen table conversations? For sure. So my parents, very different uh, musical tastes. My mom, it very much comes from the 70s songbook, Joni, um, James Taylor, Carole King stuff like that and my dad is a former symphony musician turned classical producer so the classical world and and the jazz world were really his domain and so we often just had cbc radio 2 in the background which my dad worked for as a music producer um back when it was primarily classical um that was the backdrop to a lot of our dinners and then my dad would be putting on records 
A lot of Bach. I just remember listening to tons of Bach yeah. and, and many other things. And often he would challenge us by saying, okay, who's who's this composer? Name that composer. Can you tell? Um, things like that. But then I also totally obviously had a soft spot for the songwriter stuff that my mom played. So it would really depend. My dad kind of, I would say he dominated the sound system. So if he was around, he would kind of put on his thing but if he was out of town it was fun night with my mom where we were blasting tunes <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome I, I found i growing up i definitely didn't have i don't recall a lot of access to classical music um but it's almost like since growing up and learning about a lot of bands whether it's the beatles or even radiohead or whoever who have you know pinched bits and pieces from like Beethoven or whatever. And you kind of hear it as uh, it also reminds me of the way that I used to, um, I learned about a lot of really classic, maybe um, funk songs by the hip hop samples that came. Be- I, I knew the hip hop samples before I knew the actual funk song. And I, oh, yeah, I feel totally. a little bit like that with classical sometimes, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, okay. So like what, when you were, when you were first starting, like, because uh, um, I know you have the, I mean, it sounds like you, uh, you, you know, your musical history, uh, including studying drums at one point. Um, seriously, uh, what was what was the first instrument that you you really picked up? Like, and, and, and what was maybe that first actual instrument that you were bought or given? Well, I was put in piano lessons when I was five. Um, that being said, there were I was in ORF before that. There were always musical instruments around, so I don't even know exactly what my first instrument is. But certainly, the first one I took lessons for was piano. Um, actually, for <clears throat> a few years as a kid, my family lived in Edmonton, because yeah, my dad yeah. was working out there. So I had my first piano teacher was there, and then um, we moved to Toronto, and I kept doing piano and kind of yeah, pretty classic. Um, Royal Conservatory books and I forget what the uh, dozen a day were the series of piano workbooks that I started out on which had all these on the covers there were these colorful covers with stick figurines and various levels and those really stick firmly in my mind (laughs) because they were lots of fun Um, but as I started to I would say around age nine or 10, I started really developing an interest in listening to the radio and picking up pop songs and rock songs of the day. I mean, I definitely had this sort of boy band craze thing when I like teeny bopper thing when I was nine or 10, but I got out of that pretty quickly. And then I was really listening to Edge 102 and, and a lot of rock, radio rock. And then when I was, I guess there were like so many musical things that were happening simultaneously, so I'm going to jump in and out here, but um, in grade five, I started playing French horn, right. and that was, I think, I think it was my dad was encouraging me to do that. He liked the idea of me pursuing a classical instrument, and I also, around that time, was in my elementary school had a steel pan orchestra that was led by this really awesome um, steel pan band director named Lindy Burgess, who was from Trinidad. And that was really the first time that I sat down at a drum kit because 
I, I played the bass pans, which were basically the biggest sort of their old steel bar- or their kind of steel barrels that are, and there are six of them, or at least there. that was what I was playing when I was playing the bass okay. pan and yeah. kind of had these big mallets and um, um, was literally kind of like spinning around, like hitting different notes. And we, we did a lot of pan versions of jazz standards like don't get around much anymore and then we also did um kind of a wide range of songs but there was also a drummer in the band and i think the drummer was away one day and i just sat down in a drum kit for the first time and i was like this yeah is kind of awesome <laughs> and yeah. it's kind of what i want to do and yeah and then i went off to middle school and i was still playing seal pan there i was I convinced my parents to let me take drum lessons. At the time, I had switched to jazz piano because I felt like that might be more up my alley, but I really just wanted to rock. So (laughs) they put me in drum lessons. And then also at that time, I started, there there were a bunch of guitars at my school and little books of tabs. So I started learning like Helpless by Neil Young and Closing Time Semisonic and Heart of Gold and this... Sure. Which is just about being, you know, being uh, in, I'm going to call primary school era mm-hmm. and any early experiences with seeing live music, particularly maybe live rock music that really stand out to you or even early high school. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think it was grade eight that my dad took me to see The Who. Wow. I, <clears throat> and at the time, John Entwistle was still alive. Yeah. And um, so that was really I mean Keith Moon obviously wasn't there but aside from that it was the original Who lineup and I was really obsessed with the Who and it was at Air Canada Center um and it was a really awesome show and it was just cool for me to see this I mean in a very different era but to see this band that I've been listening to a ton we I also went to see Bob Dylan with my parents and I was really into him too. It was a little more disappointing just because I don't know if you've seen him live, but he's Un- unpredictable kind of thing. You never know what you're getting. Yeah. I just kind of muttering. I'm like, I'm, yeah, it's like, is that Bob Dylan up there? Or is <laughs> yeah. like a guy yeah. mumbling with a hat on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that being said, that was cool to see. And then in terms of the first shows that I kind of went to without my parents, um, Bare Naked Ladies was was nice. I think the first one my friends I went with my friend and her dad was in the parking lot with a walkie-talkie. This was pre us having cell phones, and <laughs> um, yeah, I was a big BNL fan for a second there, and then um, Coldplay I saw, and the Sex Pistols played at uh, the then Molson Amphitheater now Budweiser Stage, and that was a really bad show <laughs> but um Johnny Rotten someone was spitting on him from oh, no. the audience and he was getting really angry about it and he kind of walked off stage but in terms of great formative live music experiences I would say the who was a big one um and and I have to say seeing Coldplay in their prime when a rush of blood to the head came out or whatever um that was felt really special too because they were definitely massive and and i i still love a lot of those songs okay so so 
um sounds like you know there's there's a bunch of uh, sounds like you had a very music friendly household needless to say definitely and i'm gonna yeah. assume that really played into i'm gonna sort of move to the next section of the conversation mm-hmm. which is which is to, is to set up the the uh, the embryonic track and yeah it sure sounds like uh so this is from 2005 i think you told me this you were 16 we do this we'll talk mm-hmm. a bit about it after but the song is called inch by inch and um uh, we'll, we're going to play it right now, and then we'll have a little chat after. This is Inch by Inch. So that was Charlotte doing inch by inch, uh, and I'm of course going to ask. Uh, I'd love to know the detail of of how that song came together. 2005. One one very uh, I- interesting thing that I noticed about the song itself is, of course, super poppy. It's definitely got the signature uh, elements of your music. I would say your, it's got your vocal style already. It's got um, you know it, it just it's really punchy. It's got it's got it's got the layers. And one very subtle thing I noticed is that. Am I correct that there's like some really heavy duty shaker going on at one point? Yes. <laughs> I, I love yeah. I love good shaker and there's definitely some good stuff in there. So so tell me a bit about this song and, and how this came to be. For sure. So I 
yeah, in middle school, once I started picking up guitar, I started writing songs. And they were, yeah, just kind of basement musings. And then when I started high school, I put together a band and was doing... I would write the songs but not sing them. I would play drums and then have a singer sing them and t- then tell everybody what to do. And I was really bossy and the band was kind of a right. really disaster. <laughs> um, and then I, I had been taking drum lessons for a few years already with a guy named Grant, Ryan Granville Martin. Yes, who, I know Ryan. I know Ryan. Yeah, yep. Who is, if you know him, you know he's an absolutely lovely guy. He's amazing. And amazing. He, he just... I think I had said earlier in the conversation that I, I listened to a lot of rock radio stuff for a while. And I just remember my first lesson with Ryan. He asked me what I had been listening to. And I think I said, I mean, I was 12. I think I said Nickelback and whatever. And he was like, he kind of nodded. And he was like, have you ever heard Led Zeppelin? <laughs> and have you ever heard John Bonham play drums? And he just introduced me to so much amazing music That's and great. he would do this thing where he would jam with me like he would teach me a drum beat and then he'd play bass along with me so that I could play along and that learning that way was really worked for me and I really loved it and I just kind of instantly clicked with Ryan and so I I can't I think that I had told him that I was writing songs or I played him something during one of my lessons and he said have you ever thought about recording some of your stuff and I think at the time he was getting into recording yeah and he had a little setup going and he suggested that we record a few songs together um and we ended up doing most of it at his place but we did bed tracks I played drums and my brother played bass at um Mike Olson's of hidden cameras of currently playing with Zune formerly Arcade Fire, a very legendary Toronto musician. He had a studio on Woodfield Road in the East End. And we did, called it Uncomfortable Silence. And we did Deb Beds there. And then, yeah, and we recorded the rest of it at at Ryan's place. And I think because we knew each other so well and he knew exactly what music I was listening to and loving, it just, yeah, it was a really special collaboration and he helped me bring those songs to life and um yeah I think I really put them on CBC Radio 3 website or whatever and got a little write-up at one point I was really excited about it but I was still quite young but I ended up working with Ryan again on my first full-length record Two Horses um about five years later and yeah he's still a dear friend and um, I really, when I think about Inch by Inch and and those, because one thing he did too was he helped me with the lyrics and he just gave me feedback and um, helped me sort of flesh out the idea, like what, what I was writing about and stuff like that. So he really, yeah, he just really helped me shape the thing. That's really great. I'm inspired to just uh, tell you two two Ryan stories. One <laughs> yes, is that our do. kids our kids went to the same school um, in the Danforth area here. Oh, uh, awesome! Uh, and uh, so I I had a dad band going that we played at at one of the events at the school. And then our our the guy that was our bass player um, the second time around couldn't make it. So I just kind of knew Ryan from the schoolyard, and we were talking, and and he ended up becoming 
the bass player in that because he could play absolutely everything as you know yeah <laughs> um and it was a good t- good time, good time with 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 ryan and we you know we kind of had a bunch of interactions over the years but then i hadn't seen him in a while and uh it was a couple years later and i was going with my kids to disneyland and i was on a plane going down to, to florida and the block now himself and it's ryan and he was going down to play a gig with class live oh my god that's gosh. one of the things that he does yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know if it was Pink was, Floyd or yeah. or one of those, but yeah, he was just on his way down to Florida. It was so wild. And we had a great chat, like right in the uh, right in the uh, sort of uh, you know aisle of the plane, and uh, <laughs> and I, that might have been the last time that I've seen him, even though we're we're sort of in the same neighborhood. Uh, but okay, well that's well that's great. So like when you hear that song, uh, you said mm-hmm. you put it on CBC, right? On the yeah, when you could. Uh, I think it was the CBC Radio 3 website or whatever it was called. You could upload your own songs and create a little profile for yourself. Was there anything else that, like, when you do a track like that, did it have a goal to be played for, um, you know, family, friends to get gigs? What other things did you use that recording for? Honestly, I remember it getting played on the announcements <laughs> at my high school. I was just like, I just want people to hear that I did this cool thing and it got played on the announcements and that was kind of my first sort of radio experience of even though it wasn't <laughs> big radio or whatever for sure yeah yeah it's my song um but yeah I think I just wanted to create this thing that was sort of a testament to um my songwriting and drumming and all the things that I was passionate about at the time and bring it to life and I didn't have any obviously 16 didn't have any commercial goals with it just just wanted to make it and yeah, so I think it ended up being shared with. I burned some CDs and circled them around and stuff like that. When when you hear that that track now, is there any one element that really stands out to you as something that is signature of where you would go with music eventually? Um, I would say just the catchy melody. I'm I've always been a sucker for a catchy hook, chorus, and I think that I listen back to that song and I stand by that chorus hook. I am proud of it. <laughs> you should be. It's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, so moving to the, uh, I'm going to move to like to the uh, the point. You know, we've sort of you've you've you you're you're getting into music, and then um, you're doing recording, and obviously you're meeting someone like Ryan. And there's 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 many more things coming for you um, as you move forward into this sort of the the following years in Toronto. Um, I call the next section music becoming real, which means mm-hmm. um, the point where there's, you know, you're doing you're doing music maybe for fun or with different people, but there's a certain point where you kind of think this is something that I may end up doing for the rest of my life. And when I think of you know you in Toronto, um, from, from you know from my from my world coming up, we were uh, the music was we started in Kingston, and but when music became real for us. Or one one example of that was definitely the connection in and around uh, Toronto, playing at the Rivoli and the Horseshoe, particularly those two two places. Mm-hmm. It's actually growing up here. It's got to be kind of interesting when I think of you, um, you know, getting chances to go sort of move up the ladder. Um, what is what what is? Can you think of a point where you just really said to yourself, um, something sort of switched, and you thought this this really is becoming real. This could be something that I do for the rest of my life. I think. My answer to this question is tricky because 
we talked a little bit about how my family is very musical and supportive and I had this passion from a really young age. So I think deep down, I always knew that it was what I wanted to do, but I think that getting to a point where I wanted to pursue like my songwriter project as a thing, as a band happened towards the end of high school and I was starting to put on my own shows at Holy Joe's and reverb and stuff and rent out the big bop and and sell tickets and there was a very thriving scene in the city at the time including bands like Spiral Beach which who at a young age were actually successful indie bands even though they were 13 and 15 they were touring get, like getting huge gigs I was just really inspired to see people my age actually making a go of it and so I think that kind of lit a fire for me to be like oh this is something I could pursue it's something I've always wanted to do and I was also just I love songwriting it was such a an important outlet for me and even though I'd always played drums I, I don't think I ever had huge aspirations to be a touring drummer in someone else's project it's something that i've done a bunch over the years but right. um and and i love doing it but i think i s- kind of always saw myself having a band or having my thing and bringing that to life so that was really around grade 11 and 12 that i started doing that in a real way and then when i moved to montreal i um started gigging in the plateau Milan music scene there and that's when it really because when I left Toronto, I was 17, and so I was still underage. But in Montreal, first of all, they really don't care. And secondly, it's 18. So I turned 18 like a, a second after I moved there. Right. And suddenly, right. and the scene there was so, is just so multi-generational. And there was just so much happening at the time. It felt like a really exciting time to be in Montreal. And that's when I really sort of like started gigging in a real way um, at that time. Yeah, I, I know you also did some time in New York as well, right? Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. what what just what an amazing city, what an amazing music city, uh, you know, and and it can almost be probably overwhelming. Uh, I don't know uh, what what age were you when you were in New York. Yeah, so I would have been twenty three to twenty five when I was there, and yeah, I, I had been in Montreal for six years. <laughs> stuff had kind of like picked up for my music thing had been doing a bunch of things um but was still pretty young wasn't exactly sure where to take things and was i was just ready to leave montreal i felt like i had been sort of orbiting i think by my own design orbiting in the same sort of circles and the same kind of types of things were like i just wanted a, a different kind of inspiration and i went through the process of getting a visa and i had gotten ontario arts council grant and I went down there and sublet a place for a month and then ended up loving it so much that I decided to stay for a while but it was very it was like I think the best of times and the worst of times for me because of the intensity of that city yeah like some of the most exciting things that have ever happened to me happened there but also just yeah a lot of heartbreaking things as well and I just remember Lou Reed died while I was living there and that that kind of like triggered this deep depression for me um which is weird because it's obviously it's not a person I knew 
personally, but I was just so such a fan and he was kind of New York in my mind. And I was like, if this guy's gone, he is, yeah. why am I yeah, even I, here? And yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I was just talking to someone the other day, Lou Reed on the, the Lou Reed New York uh, tour. And I think it was at uh, Ontario or no, um, Canada's Wonderland. Uh, but I was a very big fan of particularly that record, but many other records, but yeah, you're right. Partic- almost in so many ways, he is he is New York, and um, yeah, I, I could see that. I could really see how that would be very heavy to be there at that time, right? I, yeah, I, I love just, as a city though. I just love New York. I, I mean, I, I oh, totally understand what you mean. It, it could just be so intense, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, I was really into the intensity, but I think my situation there was just a little bit too precarious, and, and I was working tons of odd jobs and not quite like I was doing music in the sense that I was writing and gigging and stuff but I I wasn't making clear plans of making the next record and things felt like they were progressing in one way but kind of at a standstill in another way and I actually didn't think that I would end up back in Toronto it wasn't something that was on my mind until then where I kind of was just like I think I need to go home and so I ended up back in Toronto and it was absolutely the right place for me to be and still is. But I am really grateful for that couple of well, wild years in New York. For sure. Uh, and I, I'm not sure where where are, again, another kind of mutual friend, good friend, Don Kerr fits into the picture. But um, yes. I know that the, the era with which he, um, you know, I go way back with Don, but I remember just, you know, particularly the era where he, had this idea to get his his own place and start uh, the rooster, his own studio in the in the basement. I remember him getting that set up, and um, I definitely was aware at a, at a point where you know um, the two of you became uh, connected, and I think he helped you on a couple of records. And mm-hmm. uh, tell me a bit about Don, your connection with Don, and how that came to be. Definitely, yeah. So I think um, I. I had some mutual friends with Don already, but I had hadn't met him. And then when I first moved back to Toronto, a friend of mine invited me to a birthday party and Ron Sexsmith was at the birthday party. And I just casually, I had met him before and we were just chatting about making records. And then he just looked at me. He was like, you should make a record with Don Kerr. And nice. And I sort of thought <laughs> that seems like a good idea. I've heard only great things about Don. I know. Yeah. My friend had worked in his in the at the rooster his basement studio and had had a great experience so i got in touch with don and then suddenly don's and my worlds were colliding a bunch because that was around that time my friends opened this brewery and music venue yeah that's uh, at right. definitely blue burdock and yeah. they had brought me on to book that venue and don I feel like I sort of consulted Don with, or he like just had a lot of questions for him and he was so helpful about bringing like in terms of kicking that, the music programming off there in a great way. And he played the first, his band communism was the first show at Burdock. And no kidding. Okay. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And yeah. And then we had made these plans to record it. Like it kind of all happened at the same time burdock and making my record future snowbird and just like spending a ton of time in bloordale um which is the neighborhood that don lives in and i lived in at that's the time. right 
and he's also just such a community-minded person. So, yeah, it was really special to connect with him. And, yeah, and the, and the record that we made, Future Snowbird, was just really fun to make and really kind of seamless. And, yeah, I had a really great experience working with him on that. I, I feel like I can remember those, those days where he... The burdock was starting, and I, I think I recall your name coming up a few times. I certainly had never met you. I don't think I'd heard your music, but I know that, um, um, you know, uh, for me, Don goes way back to the the Rio Statics era. But he was yeah. around that time when he was just trying to have kids. I was just trying to have kids, and we were did uh, my this solo project called Egger, and Don really, uh, really just kind of spearheaded the whole thing, and 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 it was it was a really great experience. And it was right around the end of the gas station, heading into the rooster. And like I said, that time was very, um, I mean, he's still so active. He, he's always been active. But mm-hmm. I just remember, as you said, the, the Bloordale scene, that's what I would say that was really going on at that time for sure. Totally. Yeah, the Bloordale scene was rocking around 2015, 2016. I mean, it still is, but yeah. That's um, no, that, that's really good. I mean, he, you know, just just the, the fact that um, because, you know, the, another connection, of course, is is my um, through my Zunior uh, website, I have the connections with with Lloyd and Evan and everybody at outside yeah. going way back. And I remember mm-hmm. when you came on to that scene as well, that was also really great to see. And I mean, that's still in play and it sounds like it's still going well. So, um, yeah, it's great. I love those guys so much. I really do like Evan and Lloyd and Kathy and, um, and now Peggy, just everybody at outside and next door are the sweetest, greatest people. Yeah. And it's just good to see too. I mean, the, the pandemic was so unbelievably weird, you know, um, for everybody in every every way conceivable. But and to come through it, and I feel like your trajectory, musically, maybe career-wise, just I felt like kept building through that, which was very um, very good to see. You know, from my perspective, I, I thought it was because it was, you know, just such a tricky time to navigate. Um, and it's just great to see the opportunities keep coming. The shows are are you know. Um, you know just 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 going on and then and now having you know um which is again maybe this is a good uh segue to the or becoming a mom right and having a family mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's so very cool how, how how has that part of your life been in the last uh yeah just going been, being being a, a, mus- a music a musical mom it's you know it's 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 so great know. and i i feel so grateful to have had so many music moms walk before me and offer tons of advice and wisdom and people like Amy Milan and my cousin Caroline Brooks from the Good Lovelies and um and I know Jill Barber and Jen Grant like they're just so many people who I know it's it's not even that I reach out to them that much but I know this community is there of people who want to share their experiences and um and challenges and everything like that I feel um really grateful to those people for showing me that this is a thing that is doable and also to Evan and outside for, I basically, I got pregnant right after I finished recording, could have done anything. Um, and I, w- I wasn't sure what to do. And I called Evan and he was just like, oh yeah, just put it out when you were, when we were slated to put it out and do whatever you can, but just put out the record. And I am really grateful to him for being so supportive in that way, because he's obviously worked with tons of artists who have done the same thing and just to just showing me that okay you can totally do it and now that I'm doing it I see that 
you can do it. You can, with the right support systems in place, you can play shows and have a baby and it ends up being like a big happy family out there at festivals and stuff. When I was um, thinking about you, um, again, as a musical mom, I was thinking back to some of my uh, earliest, uh, it's like a unique uh, experience of being lucky enough to be on the uh, Roadside Attraction Tour in the mid-90s with oh, yeah. Eric's trip. And at that time, Julie had Julie Dwaron had just had a, had just had, um, I don't know how old the baby, like, the, of course, I think it was, you know, maybe in the first year or two, and she was on tour. She had just had, just had, um, I believe her son first time. And, uh, she was on this, this huge tour and, um, she was, you know, uh, like, like the, you know, her family was taking care of, care of the baby and, and she just went right out on tour, no, nonstop, no stop. And I remember at the time thinking, like, I was, I think probably 25 or something and, and I could barely, you know, um, understand just being 25 let alone having a, a and she was i think roughly the same age and and so she, she i in my memory she was definitely a trailblazer for just just going forward and doing the music and and having having family and and it was i remember at the time just going wow this is really really impressive you know yeah yeah it's it's just totally cool to see people do it and yeah julie's so inspiring in that way and um my friend Dave Bazan from Pedro the Lion, he, they were in town like 10 days after I had the baby. And so they came by to visit, which was so sweet. But he was telling me that he did a tour, I guess, in the early aughts with Low, the band Low. And they, Low. Yeah. Yeah. They had um, Baby on the Road at that time. And it was like a really long, big tour. And they were just like, they had a system and they made it work. And, um, yeah, it's cool to hear it coming from not just super successful bands. Obviously, yeah. Lowe's quite successful, but like just everybody through the spectrum of of making it work. Another one is Lido Pimienta, who I bumped into yes. at a festival in Ohio this summer, who's just like, she doesn't even think about it. <laughs> She's just like, oh, yeah, my family comes with me. And, you know, my daughter like sits behind the drum kit while we play. And that's how it works. <laughs> I'm assuming things have even become even more um, kind of supportive of that as the years have gone on. As you said, you mentioned Evan and, and all that kind of stuff. People yeah. just being more supportive of, of the concept. So uh, yeah, definitely. Even even I think I think I have this memory of Tim Vesley um, from the Rio Statics a long long time ago. Um, doing I don't know if he toured, but I remember right when he had his uh, I think it was his son, a baby, and they were just. Uh, you know, you can go on a flight and you can do, I remember him telling me this years and years and years ago. And I, again, I could barely get my head wrapped around it, but um, just wondering what, um, like what kind of, um, what are, what are some, what are some, you know, things you're looking forward to the next couple of years in terms of musical, um, other people you could play with or places you could go that you're really hoping to do uh, with your music. You know, you've had some really good opportunities so far, but what, what are some things you're looking forward to? Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking forward to, yeah, doing more of this and and experiencing the fun of having my kid along for all these special experiences. There's some festivals coming up next summer, and and I'm I'm really excited to write and get back into writing worlds because I've been in kind of album promo tour world the last little bit, and just yeah, just see where the creative guides take me. And it's 
I feel really blessed because my trajectory as a musician in, in terms of like, and I, I'm doing air quotes right now, in terms of like success, like it's been this kind of very gradual um, thing, but it it's like arcing in the right direction. And I'm really grateful for that because it it's with each thing, I just feel more myself. I feel like I'm happy to be at a point now in my mid thirties where I like have a sustainable career as a songwriter, but it feels like I've, there's years behind me of, um, I, I hesitate to even call it slogging it out because I had a lot of fun, but just, it just with each thing, it, it's each new thing that happens. I just feel, feels very right. And I am just really grateful to be able to keep doing it, I guess. No, that's great. I mean, you know, moving to a sort of a sort of a um, sort of a conclusion type question, I like to end with sort of a type of a life lesson or something. So, if if you were to sort of think that you were looking back, um, you know, talking to the 16-year-old you making the song Inch by Inch, uh, and if you were able to talk to that person today and say, what's maybe some some lessons or some things that you've you've learned from your 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 time, you know, almost 20 years in in music. What, what would you yeah. what would you what would you say to her? Yeah, I would say slow down, stop rushing, and um, just enjoy enjoy making music. And I think I did really enjoy making music, but I also yeah I I, I was a little bit more sort of like goal oriented as a teenager than I maybe could have been like I think I could have just sat in it a bit more and and spent time alone working on stuff more but that being said I also loved getting out and doing stuff but I I would just say don't don't be afraid to fail and try again and fail and try again and um experiment and and uh and yeah I think when I listen to my earlier recordings I'm like wow it was going so fast and just trying to like it, it just feels fast to me. So I think uh, stop rushing would be what I would say. <laughs> I cannot believe it's 2022. Your son kissed in your Subaru.
Okay, that song is You and Me from the album Could Have Done Anything from 2023, her latest record. And the earlier on in the conversation, we had the track Inch by Inch, which was from 2005, the embryonic track, both kicking. But I also want to tell you about some shows she has coming up, including Hamilton on the 17th, Ottawa on the 23rd, and Kingston on the 25th. And as she mentioned in the conversation, a bunch of uh, festival dates next summer. So I hope you'll be able to check those shows out. It was great getting a chance to catch up with Charlotte and actually go into detail of some of the the early days of her uh Again, she seems like she had a really great music-loving family and music environment, so it's very uh, inspiring to hear that that can uh, power you for your whole life and, and be able to create such uh, great music and much more to come. And uh, I just want to say again that you know when, when Charlotte and her band were out at County Pop, one of the things I also remember was that they, uh, they were very complimentary about the lemonade, so that was also very cool. So again, Charlotte, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. And... Uh, and uh, look forward to crossing paths in the future. And for everyone listening, thanks for staying tuned. There's more to come. like this podcast be sure to subscribe like and tell all your best music loving friends about it today's episode was brought to you by zinger.com and me lemonade dave i've done a lot of things in music over the years but these days i mostly make bottled lemonade by hand in prince edward county i'm gonna crack a cold one right now but if you're ever in pec be sure to ask for it by name and tell them dave sent you dave had it made sitting pretty in Without the trouble of drinking drinks and shots and doubles, he said, Hark, I'll make it sparkle. And he added stuff to make it bubble. Lemonade, babe. like the sparkling lemonade. If it's hot, I'll get a bottle. It's not all. Get a bottle, that is.